Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt Filippovitz. Matt, what's going on? Bill, not much going on here. I had popcorn as a snack today, and I never have popcorn, and I don't know what it is, but I'm feeling I'm feeling extra excited to discuss this revenge tour uh, part one for Penn State. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, just a couple quick questions on the popcorn. Was it just like straight up popcorn? Was it like movie theater style? Was it kettle corn? Or what are we rocking with? So it was home style. I'm not a big popcorn fan. Full disclosure. Mm. It's not, not for me. I have very bad food takes, according to a lot of people, but you, I don't like popcorn that you, much. You have very bad food takes. But yeah, I, I mean, what was it about this that made you like this particular popcorn that made you like so bubbly, apparently? Well, I'm a, I'm a Cheez-Its stan. I have Cheez-Its every okay, night. Okay, that's good. That's good. And I eat them out of a bowl that I got at a Phillies-Dodgers game, like one of the hat bowls that Sundays yeah. come in. I eat it out of that because I'm nine years old. Um, but I just felt like, I felt like I didn't want cheese. It's today. So I went with popcorn instead. It was like a good two o'clock pick me up snack. I ate an entire bag, felt awful for like nine minutes. And now I'm feeling ready to go. Did, what, one, uh, quick follow up. What kind of cheese? It's just straight up cheese. It's or yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a traditionalist. Okay. Listen, a, man, I am a total extra toasty psychopath and brother. Once I started eating those, I could not eat regular cheese. It's again, they are. They they are worth the price of admission. Okay. All right. I went to the grocery store tonight, so maybe I'll, I usually go, if I can, at least four times a week. So maybe next time I go. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that is just, from my opinion, that's far too many times to go to the grocery store in a week. But live your truth, my man. Uh, and let's, let's finish talking about this, even though I know you and I can rabble on about it forever. And instead talk about uh, – in a second, Penn State's game against Indiana this week, but what we've been doing on Thursdays is I have whomever uh, is joining me on Thursday and didn't join me on Monday. Just give their thoughts on the previous week's game. Uh, Matt, of course, last week, Penn State 38, Villanova 17. Just your general thoughts on the game, good, bad, either side of the football, whatever it uh, whatever it might be. What were your just kind of broad, overarching thoughts about Penn State's win to move to 4-0 in the season? Um, it's hard to have a lot of hot takes about this game because usually when, you know, Penn State plays an FCS team, it's week one, um, and they try to pour as many points on as they can, I feel like, and there just really wasn't a need to do that this week. You know, you've already built your resume. Villanova wasn't doing anything for you. There was really no sense in showing more than you have to or repping more than you have to. So in a, in a weekend full of chaos, um, it was good to kind of just have an exceedingly boring matchup. So not really much else I can say on the topic because it was exactly what I think Penn State needed after the absolutely ridiculous September they've had. So you weren't concerned about what well, I mean, let's face it. Penn State's defense pristine. If anyone has any complaints about the defense, I think you can only say like the threes and the fours didn't like look like ones and twos, which is going to happen. Uh, Sean Clifford, of course, is fantastic. All that. You weren't concerned about Penn State's rushing attack in this game because I feel like a lot of people have said if this was kind of a one-off, okay, whatever, they're sleepwalking against Villanova. But it does seem like kind of the general consensus is this is the fourth data point that we have that says Penn State's rushing attack has something wrong with it. You're not too terribly worried about that? I'm torn. I've thought a lot about this because there's two lines of thinking here. First of all, Penn State should have absolutely dominated that game in the trenches, and they didn't. Um, there's no reason that Phil Troutwine's guy should not have just pushed people apart like um, the Cotton Bowl was a couple years ago. I know that wasn't Troutwine, but was that Troutwine? No, it wouldn't have been. Um, but I was expecting a performance like that where they were clearly bigger and stronger, and we didn't get that. The other side of the coin is, if I'm a defensive coordinator, even with how good he's looked, I am still going to put all of my chips on making Clifford beat you. And I think that's what Villanova more or less did. Um, because a lot of Sean Clifford's big plays came on, frankly, broken plays. And, and you can get away with that against Villanova. But I'm really torn on how concerned I should be. I'm, there's definitely concern there. How much, I don't know. More than I'd like there to be, for sure. But, you know, overall, I, I just, I can't find too many things to complain about as we sit here on the doorstep of October and Penn State has this incredible resume and, and every team looks vulnerable, including Penn State. But unlike a lot of other teams, Penn State has found a way to get wins. So 
it's it's a tough spot to be in. I'll I'll feel a lot better after Indiana. You know, that'll be the second conference game against a good defense and a well-coached team. So I can really let you know if I'm if I'm ringing alarm bells uh, this time next week or not. Well, well, I think one thing that is important to mention is that after uh, I believe it was after the Auburn game, I asked you this question. You said, yeah, there are some uh, concerns that you have uh, that. To me, it's just interesting that you ended up taking that approach because, like, you had mentioned uh, in previous episodes that, yeah, you have some concerns about the running game, but it feels like you think we didn't learn anything in either direction against Villanova. Is that a fair thing to say? Yeah, and I think that was the point of the Villanova game, if I'm being honest. I think that's absolutely what that game was. I mean, again, it's not like the first game of the year where you're trying things out. This was, okay, this game doesn't give us anything more than reps and that's no disrespect meant to Villanova but I mean let's be honest that's what that game was like let's get reps let's figure things out and they didn't in the run game which is definitely again cause for concern but it is still September it was an FCS team who knows how up the team was so I think I'm just in a really similar spot to last week um maybe a little a little less excited maybe a little less optimistic but it's it's really not that much of a change for me at all interesting i i'm i'm glad you said that and i one thing i want to do is um give people just a little bit of a heads up on something that you know you've probably seen around the penn state twitter sphere uh just general internet you know community that us crazy people uh have found ourselves in, but uh, over at the site for the bloggy, uh, they have uh, a football coach by the name of Nick Caduti, who does uh, video breakdowns of various things going on with Penn State football. He had won this week about Penn State's running game, and it was, I found it really interesting and insightful. Uh, It focused a lot on how Penn State's offensive line, I mean, this is a question that Nick and I had last week, which is part of the reason I want to address it. Uh, Penn State's offensive line is playing very well. Like when they are getting a hat on a hat, when they're getting out and they're blocking dudes, they are doing some really special stuff. The big issue that has popped up are basically two or three things. A lot of them have to do with miscommunications that he posits stem from how Penn State's playing with tempo. Uh, Other things are he just thinks stuff like uh, tight ends not finishing their blocks, just little things like that. All things that he seems he believes are uh, fixable and. You know, James Franklin also said this week he wants to see the offensive line playing with a little bit more of an edge, going until the whistle blows, those sorts of things. So as we're heading into Indiana, and I think this is a really good way uh, to dive right in, that's something that I'm interested in, Matt. And before we go into Penn State's offense, Penn State's defense, James Franklin has spoken a lot this week about how Penn State is trying to approach this as no focus on last year's game, from the players to the coaches, all those sorts of things. They just want to focus on this as its own isolated game. And I think to an extent they want to do that. Um, I think to an extent, you know, Franklin probably, Franklin and everyone in that program remembers what happened after they lost to Indiana last year. And between that, between how just like locked in this team seems to be, the fact that this is a night game, all these sorts of things. I expect Penn State to come out this week playing with that little bit of nastiness, that last little bit of an edge, all those sorts of things, and hope to make it. I don't know if they will or not, but I think they're going to try and come out and make a statement this week. Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, I think a lot of Franklin's comments are, are, you know, let's be honest, it's coach speak. Like, you have to say, you have to be consistent in your messaging. No game is more important. No game is less important. This game matters more. 2020 was supposed to be the year for Penn State. It was what we were all looking forward to. It was probably the most talented roster. You know, the journey hype coming in, the Micah hype coming in, you know, the Oway hype coming in. And then it was all taken away from them. And then they had to go out in Bloomington and, and lose a bad game. It, frankly, it was, a, it was a great game, but bad game. It, you know what I'm trying to say there. But this game is the game where Penn State has to once and for all, put to bed or just get those demons from 2020 out of their system. And I think if they go out there and if they win by, you know, three scores, that'll do it. 
Um, again, I don't think this is the game to show everything yet because you have a much bigger one um, looming the following week with Iowa. But I think this is absolutely the kind of game where you can really put the nightmare that was 2020 behind you and start establishing yourself as a not a the contender in the Big Ten. And I think that's absolutely a statement that can be made because I think we're going to have a crazy weekend of college football with how many great games this week. Like Michigan, Wisconsin is going to be a battle. I think Rutgers, Ohio State is going to be close. Who knows what Iowa, Maryland is on Friday night. So call them hogs, Matt. Night game, night game in Beaver Stadium with the stripe out. I am, I am just, this feels like the kind of game where Penn State can come out and say, we are the team to beat in the Big Ten. And if anybody wants to get to Indianapolis, they're going to have to go through us. And that's something I'm really excited about because I think that's when Franklin's at its best. When he still has the underdog perception nationally, but he has the confidence that he knows he has the best team in the conference. And that's something I don't think we've seen since 2017. Um, and that's something I'm, I'm just really excited to see them finally come out of their shell uh, against a, a still pretty good Indiana opponent. Yeah, I, I, it's funny because I, I, you know, you're, you're in my group of friends, but I, I know a lot of people in my group of friends and a lot of people I've seen when Penn State had, when this game's kick time was announced and it was announced as a 7.30 game, there were some people who were like confused as to why a Penn State game against Indiana in the middle of the season is going to be kicking off under the legs. And the answer is like, this just happens when you're a good football team. Like Ohio State. This should not, this should not be a night game with how many other great games so, that are on. 7.30 is an awful kick. Granted, it's 6.30 Central Time. And, and I agree that Central Time is God's time. It's remarkable how good this is. Um, it's, it's ridiculous that this is a night game. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. This is what happens when you're good. Right, you just get games like like the the game that I always remember being like that was uh, the 2016 season. It was after Penn State beat Ohio State and kind of announced to the college football consciousness, like, "Yo, we're a team that you're going to have to deal with." Penn State got a game against an Iowa team that was okay, but not like great at night, and Penn State came out and just kicked the hell out of that Iowa team. Like, this is something that happens, and this is. This is something I think Penn State could use as a springboard. They can use a game like this just because of who this opponent is. It's in their con- – it's a conference game, a division game. It's against a solid football team. Uh, and it's before they get into, like, the real killer part of their schedule. This is an op- – and that – like, none of that's to even say what happened last year – was the kind of game that derailed the entire season and led us to a point where we entered this Penn State football season with, yeah, Penn State's the number 19 team in the country to start the year, but we could all see a scenario in which things went really, really badly. That didn't happen. This is an opportunity for Penn State to show everything that you said about us Last year, everything that happened was last year because of the game against Indiana. That's not happening again this year. We are a different football team. And I am excited for them to take on that challenge because this seems like a team that really, really wants that challenge. The issue, Matt, is that on the other side of things uh, is an Indiana team that came into this season ranked number 17 in the country. Uh, there were a lot of folks who wondered if they were the team that had a shot to knock off Ohio State. They're two and two on the year. Their two losses were both by double digits: one to Ohio, one to Iowa in Kinnick, one to Cincinnati in uh, you know at Indiana. A close win over Western Kentucky last week. A blowout win over Idaho. Before we dive in, again, before we dive into the game a little bit, what are just your thoughts on this Indiana football season? It's it's hard. Um, starting with Iowa and a really good Iowa team, and then having to play Cincinnati, who is going to give Notre Dame all kinds of fits this weekend. It's a, it's a really tough spot to be in. Um, I think they're good. I don't think Michael Penix is the same player he was last year. And, you know, three straight season-ending injuries are going to do that to you. Um, 
But overall, I think it's still a dangerous team. I think with the with the rise of Michigan State and the rise of Rutgers, I'm leaning towards this being the number. Oh my God, even Maryland's good. What is happening? Um, this is it possible Indiana could finish last in the East? And and that's saying something considering like now that I really take a step back and really look at the the broader picture, it's probably going to be, be between them and Rutgers, and I think Rutgers is going to go to a bowl game. Um, I, it's what, what, what I, what I, what I said, what I said to our pal, Jacob rude, uh, either a block on Hoosiers, either during our pod or uh, right after our pod. I don't remember off the top of my head is that like this Indiana team could win four or five games, but they will be the best four or five win team in the country. Like it will not be. Oh, absolutely. To me, oh my God, will, yeah. to me, if they lose, if they win two more games this season, it speaks more to how tough their division is, not their conference, their division is, than it does anything else. Because I do think this is a good football team. Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you said. Um, and, th- and that's why I think it's going to be hard to judge this Indiana football season as a whole, because this is a, this is an impossible ask um, for them to run this gauntlet. So I think they're talented. I like what they have especially on defense with Micah McFadden and, uh, and Taiwan Mullen. But I just don't think they have the horses to keep up with the, uh, with the upper echelon of the big 10 East. Yeah. And I, I, let's, let's dive into this game a little bit and we'll, uh, do what we normally do break it down by size of the football, Indiana, number 61 in college football in SP plus number 71 offensive SP plus number 49 defensive SP plus numbers that really surprised me uh, when, when when I saw them after Bill Connolly posted them this week. Uh, Did you say forty nine for defense? Yeah, that's lower than I thought it would have been. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I obviously won't say uh, Iowa because Iowa scored a bunch of points off their turn of turnovers, but allowing thirty eight points to Cincinnati and Cincinnati looked pretty good in that game allowing thirty three to Western Kentucky and Western Kentucky was able to move the ball a little bit even if their offense is uh, a bit gimmicky uh, even when Iowa had the football like they weren't great by any stretch of the imagine but you know I don't think they were like catastrophic I think they ran the ball uh, particularly well so it's been a tough year for Indiana. James Franklin pointed out this week that they returned 22 starters. But uh, again, something I said to Jacob, uh, I, it feels like last year, Indiana, what's the word I'm looking for? Indiana just had everything go right for that. Every single thing it seemed like went right for Indiana. Even that Ohio state game last year, they played Ohio state really, really close. uh, Even though I think, Ohio State was a markedly better football team than them. And this seems like it's just a case of the rent coming due for a football team that had a lot of things go their way last year. And it's been tough to watch this year, but uh, that's epitomized, I think, on the offensive side of the football for them, Matt. Like I mentioned, 71st in offensive SP+. Uh, Michael Penix looks like a shell of himself. They haven't really been able to to run the ball uh, this week. It was announced that their number two uh, wide receiver, DJ Matthews is I believe out for the season. So it's been a real Murphy's law year for the Hoosiers offense, man. Yeah. Um, this was discussed on uh, split zone duo um, and they were talking about NC state, but I think it's a really great comparison for Indiana in that you're always chasing your or if you're a middle-of-the-pack FBS team, which I think Indiana falls into, you're always chasing that special season, which is like the eight, nine-win season for a lot of those programs. And Indiana had it. The time has come. The time has since passed. And now it's time to let the big boys kind of take control of the division again. Um, And again, it's interesting the fact that everybody on that great team is back. And I don't think I've ever seen a team play that well and then fall apart with that many people back. But it, it's just such extreme circumstances coming off the 2020 season. So from a broad, you know, 10,000 foot view, I think this game is going to give Penn state 
more fits than a lot of people would like. Like you compared it to that Iowa game. What was that? 2016. Um, yeah. I think it'll be, I think it'll be closer than that, but what does that really mean? Like, was that going to be enough to really make us feel nervous going into the Iowa game? I don't think so. This feels like it could be similar to Villanova where Penn state kind of has things taken care of. And then Indiana gets a garbage time touchdown to make it look better than it actually was. Um, but I'm just I I just don't feel as nervous about this one as I probably would if it was in Bloomington. I think that's a big part of this one, too, that they get it at home at night um, with, I think, the fan base really, really fired up because I don't think very many people thought they'd be where they are right now. Uh, yeah, that um, that Iowa game from 2016, Penn State won that 41-14. I will tell you right now, if Penn State wins this game 41-14. I am going to be levitating because I don't think it's going to happen. Let's start, Matt, by talking about what we're looking for when Penn State's defense is on the field against Indiana's offense. James Franklin gave a quote this week about Indiana quarterback Michael Penix Jr. said he's a veteran that's played a lot of football for them. That's going to be a key factor in this game, how well he plays and how consistently we can get to him. I don't want to read too terribly much into, like, you know, overanalyze something James Franklin said. But it seems like just from that, he's going. He's putting a bit of a challenge on Penn State's defensive front to get home. That's probably the thing that I'm looking for the most. How much is Penn State able to disrupt Penix, who, like we've mentioned, look, just looks like a guy who's had three straight season-ending injuries. He's still rusty. There's some stuff maybe going on between the ears. He's, he's getting himself back and selling. He looked better last week against Western Kentucky. I think Penn State's front defensive front it's front seven is going to have a huge task ahead of it because if you can knock Michael Penix off of his game this Indiana team cannot run the football or struggle to run the football and really only has one or two really reliable targets in the passing game so that's what I'm looking forward to the most what about you Uh, I was going to say the same um, but I'll shift it but I will say uh, my expectations for certain guys now have changed um, because now I know they're not just placeholders until Mike King, Hakeem Beeman makes his debut. Um, I'm very sad he will not be playing this year. Wish nothing but the best to him. Um, and whatever the reason is, he's going to miss the season. Um, but since you, you used to getting home, I'm going to say turnovers, uh, especially out of the corners. We've seen the safeties, you know, Jair Brown and Jaquan Brisker really find a way to get their hands on a lot of footballs and, and create turnovers. I want to see it out of Joey Porter Jr., Tree Castro Fields and Daquan Hardy. I want to see those three, at least one of them, come up with a pick this week because I think they'll be able to do it. Um, and I think if they're able to get that unit playing confidently, this secondary is going to go to a whole new level, which is crazy to think about because I think this is probably the best secondary in the Big Ten right now, um, which is also crazy considering Ohio State is a cornerback factory at this point. So. I think if Penn State's corners can get that turnover and really get that confidence up, um, Penn State's going to win this one going away, and I think that'll be huge going forward. Yeah, I mean, I've, I, I am interested. What I will say about Indiana is that I do think they have some skill position players who could give Penn State a little bit of trouble. Uh, Stephen Carr struggled to get in the fold uh, after spending. Uh, the previous four years of his collegiate career at USC. He's a former five-star recruit uh, out of California who ended up going to the hometown team uh, and transferred to Indiana this season. On the year, 87 carries, 336 yards, 3.9 yards per carry, three touchdowns. Uh, Hasn't been stellar, but, you know, the talent is there that if he can give them just enough and Penix is able to stay upright, Ty Freifogel is a very good wide receiver. He's just a guy who's really good at finding pockets of space in a defense, sitting down in them, catching the football in them. And even if he doesn't break those big plays, he's going to be able to get get a couple of yeah, yards on it. He's a pro. He's, he's definitely he's a, a pro. Well, he hasn't been – I think there was this expectation that he was going to be, you know, as just like the, the guy at Indiana, he was going to be able to take that next huge step forward. He hasn't quite done that, but he still has been good. Uh, Peyton Hendershot, a good – big physical tight end uh, that the Hoosiers have. I'm sure that uh, I am sure that Penn State's Steve uh, back seven is going to have a whole lot of fun having to deal with him. Uh, but for me, Matt, 
you know, we've kind of touched on this a bunch. Everything comes back to Penix. I remember thinking in that game last year, especially later in the game when Indiana was able to uh, get it to overtime and then eventually look good in overtime, he just looked so calm and he just looked so settled and he just looked so confident in knowing that the ball was getting out of his hand before he was going to get hit. And to me, I look at a guy like Arnold Ebiketti, I look at a guy uh, like P.J. Mustafer, just those guys along the defensive line who we know can really get the job done. And they're the guys who I think if they can get home a couple of times, this has the potential to go off the rails for Indiana's offense. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think P.J. is a great guy to call out. He played a great game last week. Um, but also, when you're that big and that fast, you should have a good game against an FCS foe. Um, but yeah, I think I think Tar Burton's a guy who I'm looking to have more or less a breakout game. Um, I think his he's played way better than I ever thought he would, and and that's a lot of credit to him and his development. Um, I think it was Franklin this week who said they need a fourth. Um, I don't mm-hmm. disagree. I think they have a a, a good three man rotation, but they need a fourth guy to be productive and. You know, Villanova got you reps. This is where you find out who's ready, I think, in a week like this, especially if you can put the game out of reach. Um, So I'm looking at a guy like Zariah Fisher, who I think really highly of. Um, It's going to take time. It always will. But if you can kind of show if he plays, again, the fourth defensive end, just going off of what Dan's snap counts have shown in the past years, it's like eight, nine, ten snaps a game. But you know, you want to be disruptive in those in the opportunities you have. And if you're the fourth defensive end, you're not going to be in the top 10 on the team in tackles or even, you know, any stat like that. But you need to find that fourth guy. So that way, if, you know, injuries happen, it's still a long season ahead of them. There's still eight games to go, um, probably more. So I want to see, you know, a fourth guy establish themselves. Um, and I want to see... Devon Ellis really have a big game. I think uh, Mustafer and Tangelo are fantastic first options, and Ellis has played really well, but I want to see that next level. Um, and I know he's still really young, but still, if he has this bigger role already, that shows the staff thinks highly of him. So I want to see more out of him as well. So like you, I think I'm really going to be focused a lot on on that front seven, especially the interior of the defensive line. Um and then as things kind of develop later in the game, then I'm going to probably shift my focus a lot more to who's getting reps at end and, and kind of who's doing what on that front. Yeah, and uh, just, you know, this might not necessarily have anything to do with this game, but I really I wanted to highlight a quote that Brent Pry uh, said this week about Penn State's red zone defense just because I found it pretty interesting. And I, like, I'm interested to see how it works out because uh, Indiana got the ball in the red zone to start overtime last year and in the second overtime last year. So uh, what happened? What happened? What's that? What happened in that one? They they made the Penn State's defense made the stop. Uh, Brent Price said he studied <laughs> it and tried to be a little more varied in what we're doing down there. For a lot of years, we were ultra aggressive and we tried to mix it up a little bit and just keep people more honest. I'm, I'm interested in seeing if that is uh, the mentality that they take for these bigger games. You know, a hundred for all hundred yards of the football field, not just for the red zone, just because. They've seemed like they've gotten aggressive to the point that it's cost them at times in the past. But just a just a little thing I wanted to wanted to dog here, and I wanted to make sure we uh we got out into the universe in case Penn State's red zone defense gets a big stop. Let's go to the other side of the football. Uh, like you mentioned, Indiana number forty nine in uh defensive SP plus, a number that I you know candidly I thought. They'd be a little bit higher than that. Uh, I will be sure to go into Bill's mentions and be mean to him about that. But you look at Indiana on that side of the football, mat, and I just think of a unit that is always going to be really well-schemed, really well-coached, and really talented. And there are some guys in this Indiana defense who could really – I don't know if they will blow this game up and make Sean Clifford's like like hell or anything like that, but – as a collective unit, they could do some really impressive things out there. Oh, for sure. Um, like I mentioned, like Micah McFadden might be the best linebacker in the Big Ten. He's got an argument for it. 
Um, anytime you have that guy in the middle, your defense is going to be really, really good. And he's going to clean up a lot of mistakes. Um, like, I'll compare him. He's not as good as Mike Hole, but Mike Hole covered up a lot of mistakes for Penn State's defense around that time. What was that, 2013, 2014, more or less? So he's that kind of player. He's been around forever. I think it's his fifth or sixth year. He took advantage of the COVID year, if I'm not mistaken. So they're well-coached. They're veteran this isn't the game, um, and it sucks because Iowa is not the game either next week where you can really get the run game going. But at some point, you have to find it. So I think you try it here. I think you get a nice lead. Um, Taiwan Mullen's a great uh, defensive back. He's a great corner, but I think um, he's going to probably shadow Jahan a lot. So from there, you look to, you know, Parker Washington, Keandre Lambert-Smith, the tight ends. Um, and you look for them to get open, and, and they showed they can make plays, you know. It was a big week last week for Parker and for Keandre, and the week before it was a big week for the tight ends. So a lot of those guys have confidence. So if they can get those guys rolling, um, Jahan's still going to get like eight touches, which is insane considering that's priority number one, two, and three is stopping him. So if you can really find a way to get the complementary pieces going before you get the runway going, I think that's the best strategy to beat this Indiana defense. But again, it's they're going to cause fits. It's going to be frustrating. There's going to be some gross drives. There's going to be some gross plays that get blown up. Um, it's all part of the growing of this offense still. Uh, so I think patience is going to be is going to be the key in this one, for, especially for that Penn State offense, just waiting for things to develop and waiting for opportunities to present themselves. Right, and giving Sean Clifford time to be able to do those sorts of things against a defense that uh, you mentioned uh, Micah McFadden just uh, – a brain for a defense, a guy who knows where to basically knows everything he needs to do out there, what everyone else needs to do and is like talented enough to make those things happen. You mentioned Mullen who was going to, I think Jahan Dotson is good enough that he's not going to be taken completely out of the game, but this is going to be the biggest challenge that Jahan faces up to this point in the season. And I can't wait to see how he ends up dealing with that. And then you look through, look elsewhere on their defense and you look at a guy like Ryder Anderson, a trans, a defensive line, uh, defensive end transfer from Ole Miss. Uh, so far this season in four games, 20 tackles, four and a half for loss, two sacks, has been a really productive member. Uh, That's unreal for an interior. You say he was defensive tackle, right? Defensive end. Oh, defensive end. Still, defensive 20 end. tackles is ridiculous for this, for this right. part of the season for linemen. And, but even then, like Mike McFadden, Five tackles for loss and two sacks as a def- as a linebacker. Uh, they have playmakers on this defense. A guy like Marcelino uh, McCrary Ball has been able to make some plays in his tenure uh, with the Hoosiers. And I just see a bunch of guys who they're, they know exactly what they're going to need to do out there. They're going to know exactly – you know, it'll be a little bit different because they're obviously playing a, a markedly different Penn State team than they played last year. But they're going to know what they need to do in order to give Indiana a shot to win this football game. And I wouldn't be surprised if because of how talented this defense is, because of how how good they are at putting guys in positions to succeed and how smart their various defensive players are. You go down their depth chart uh, just among their starters, uh, redshirt senior or grad transfer, senior, senior, grad transfer, senior, redshirt, senior, 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 redshirt, senior, 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 junior. They have a lot of guys who have played a lot of football, whether it is at Indiana or in general. I think that's, that's going to make for a very interesting chess match, Matt. At the very least, I think that while Auburn's defense was very, very nasty, and while Wisconsin's defense was in a game where, you know, still figuring things out, I think that this game and the Iowa game are going to be the two best chess matches in terms of what are they doing? How does Mike Yurcich respond? How do they respond and how do they respond? and just going back and forth? Like, I cannot wait to watch that. What about you? Sorry, can you repeat that again? You cut out for a second there. Uh, that again, you cut out for a second there. <laughs> but my, my basic point is that, like, with all due respect to Auburn and Wisconsin, 
both very good defenses. I think the chess match that we're going to see next week and this week are going to be the two best chess matches that we see all year because it's defenses that know what they want to do out there, have talented guys and are going to be put in positions, do them. And just that back and forth with Yersic and whomever is calling defensive plays for the other team is just going to be fantastic in my opinion. Oh, for, for sure. If I agree on if it's the two best chess matches, I'm not sure because I think Wisconsin's still really good. Um, that defense is legit like that. What was the Notre Dame score? Do they put up like in the forties? That's not real. Cause they had two pick sixes yeah. on like back-to-back plays. The, like the, the that thing was... that, the thing that I'll say about the Wisconsin game was, I think there was a little bit different. I think there was not that much. It wasn't like super chess matchy because it was still so much of Penn state trying to figure out what it did, like how the things worked on the offense. Like the first half of that game, Penn state's offense was just a total nothing because nobody had any idea what to do. I think for 60 minutes this week and next week, it's just going to be back and forth. What are you doing? How do we respond to it? How do you respond to that? Just an hour of that. And it's going to be fantastic. That's totally fair. That that's totally fair. Um, I'm not sure if I'm on the same page just because I, I think very highly of Jim Leonard and I think very highly of Mike Yersich. Um, and I think a lot of that, you're, you're definitely right, probably more than I'm willing to like let on in the sense that there was a lot of growing pains there. Um, I think I'm really undervaluing how hard that was for Yersich to really work through that early on. But I think the fact that we've seen Yersich and this offense deal with something like that already um, both in Wisconsin and again in Auburn shows that they're going to be ready for this. I'm not sure if Indiana has seen a chess match on this level where, you know, what they have calling their offense or calling their defense is equivalent to what Iowa has or Cincinnati has, um, if that makes any sense. So I definitely agree that this will be an interesting chess match, but I think Yurcich and that offense is better prepared for it than I think the Indiana defense is. So let's move on to, and approach this however you want. If you want your folks to be Penn State players, Indiana players, a little both, whatever it might be, who do you think the biggest players are for both teams who will end up deciding which team ends up getting the upper hand here? Yeah, I'll do one for Indiana and one for Penn State. Indiana, I'm just going to say Micah McFadden because I think he's that talented. Um, he got, I think he got ejected for targeting in that Indiana, in that, excuse me, in the Cincinnati game. Is that right? I think he was the one who got yeah. hit with targeting, but I could be wrong. Okay. Um, and they lost all their energy. He's the heart and soul of that team, man. He's played so much football and he knows what he's doing. Um, really on a level that I don't think we've seen out of an opponent in a long time. He's, he's really, really good. I don't know if he's a pro, but I mean, I, I don't view players as like their pro potential. He's just a very good football player at this level. And, and that's awesome. Um, and then from the Penn State perspective, I'm going to go with John Lovett. I think he is a guy that I think he's going to lead Penn State in uh, rushing yards at the end of the season. I, I, I still I said that at the in the preseason. I still believe that even though he missed those games. I think we're seeing him become the guy more or less because Kane's dinged up and, and Kayvon Lee can't hang on to the football right now. So I think they need to get him into a groove. So I don't think, you know, he has to get 15 carries for them to win the game. But I want to see him be efficient with his touches. And I think if he has a good if he has a good day, he can really take control of that running back room and really cement himself as the lead dog in that pack. Uh, I, I'll i actually go a little bit different. I'll do uh, both sides. I'll actually take a player on Indiana's offense and a player on Penn State's defense. A player on Indiana's offense, it has to be Michael Penix. I mean, if he can be the guy who – I don't know if people remember this. There was talk coming into this year about Penix being the best quarterback in the Big Ten. Like, obviously, needs a little bit of context coming into this season. We didn't know – exactly what the Big Ten quarterback sphere was going to look like. We, you know, had an inkling C.J. Stroud was going to be very good. No one knew Remember, what... remember when we thought Graham Ertz was good? I was getting <laughs> to that. Uh, that was fun. No one knew what to expect out of Sean Clifford. No one knew what to expect out of whomever played for Michigan. Like, Graham Mertz, you know, everyone was still enamored with him. Tanner Morgan, everyone thought, you know, big bounce back year coming. Talia Tagovailoa, people thought we're going to go, all those sorts of things. I 
think there's a reason there's there's definitely a justified reason why people were so high on Penix. So I'm excited to see what he ends up doing this week, especially because again, it, it seemed like last week he was starting to build a little bit against a really bad Western Kentucky defense. Please do not sit here and assume that I am saying that Western Kentucky was like the 86 Bears or anything, but 35 for 53, 373 yards. That's a little closer to the Michael Penix uh, that I think everyone expects coming in this year. So if he can get into his groove, I think Indiana has a shot here, uh, even if it is under hostile circumstances. Uh, And then moving over to Penn State's defense, I think this is an opportunity for Arnold Ebiketti to, if he can get past whomever he ends up going up against, whether it's uh, Luke Haggard, the left tackle for the Hoosiers, or Matthew Bedford, the right tackle for the Hoosiers. Like Penix is a lefty, so changes up the might you know maybe they change up where they are lining dudes up on their defensive line. He gets home a couple of times. I think the possibility exists that he can wreck a bit of havoc in this game. And he's quick enough, he's strong enough, he's athletic enough, all these sorts of things. I think that he he could be in for a pretty fun football game. Uh, Matt, let's play fill in the blank. We'll start with the Hoosiers. Indiana wins this game if blank. So I'm going to go back to really the issue with 2020. If Penn State turns the ball over, and that's just not something they've done. Um, but I feel like I've got to stick with it because I don't see a way that Penn State plays the way they've played all year and loses this game. So I'm just going to have to say, because I don't know how, how they lose otherwise, which is fun that I only know one way for Penn State to lose this year. Um, so I'm going to say Indiana wins this game if Penn State turns the ball over. I will say Indiana wins this game if the breaks go their way. And I don't necessarily just mean turnovers, even though that's part of it. I mean, last year, Indiana was so good, so good. I I would argue above everything else, just creating their own luck about putting themselves in situations where they never really had to worry about they put themselves in a situation so if something bad happened to the other team, they were in a position to take advantage of it. They didn't let themselves get into positions where bad things happened to them. They played really smart, really sensible football. Despite that, they still they were an aggressive team. They were a nasty team. They had like I mentioned earlier in the podcast that things went their way and now the rent came through. I now the rent came due. Well, the rents come due for this Indiana football team, but sometimes you can make get away with putting off paying that rent an extra week or so if you have a good relationship with your landlord. And after, oh, in recent years, Indiana has had a pretty good relationship with blowing up against the Penn State Nittany Lions. I, you look at last year's game, obviously, that 2019 game, 34-27 to 27 in Happy Valley, uh, doesn't have it up for uh, – 2018 here, but I recall that being a close game. 2016, Penn State goes to Happy Valley, uh, Indiana, end up winning 45-31. The game is closer than it looked like. A lot of that stuff, and I think if Indiana can put itself in positions that it does in past years against Penn State, don't get behind the chains on second and third down. Don't turn the ball over. Take advantage of Penn State makes mistakes. You know, 11 guys running to the foot. All those, like, little cliches, I think they have a shot. Moving to the other side of things, Matt, Penn State wins this game if blank. If Jahan Dotson touches the ball more than seven times, if he hits that magic number of eight, I don't know why I'm so enamored with that. I think it's the fact that he had eight touches against, um, I think it was uh, Auburn, which is like ridiculous because, again, that's priority one, two, and three is stopping him. So if Jahan gets the ball in his hands, Penn State's going to win. It's pretty much that simple for me. I am more afraid of the Indiana defense than I am of the Indi- and then excuse me than I am of the Indiana offense. So it's really going to come down to how Penn State's offense can get the ball to its playmakers, and if John gets the ball in his hands, Penn State's doing something right, and I think that leads to a win. I will say Penn State wins this game if the team that we've seen the first four weeks of the year shows up. 
And no, excuse me. I know they haven't been a perfect football team, but I think they've been a good enough football team that if they're hitting those big plays, if the passing game is humming, if the defense is flying around and being aggressive, like just on the merits of what we've seen this season, Penn State should win that football game. And I think it's pretty easy. Like, if the Penn State team that played the first month of the season shows up on Saturday, I think they win this football game. Uh, which leaves the predictions, but before we do uh, – predictions, uh, we'll, we'll do this. Penn State's 12.5-point favorite uh, over under 53.5. SP Plus has Penn State winning this game 36-15, to 15, winning by 21 points. And, Matt, before I ask you to give your prediction, I want to read a pair of quotes. Is that cool with you? Hit me with it. First one, James Franklin this week. I just want to see us take another step. I thought we did that during training camp in the first three weeks. I thought last week we were a little inconsistent in our approach. Said that uh, just while meeting with the media uh, earlier this week. Second thing I want to read is a quote from Sean Clifford uh, from our friend Audrey Snyder. She wrote for The Athletic uh, that published today. The quote from Clifford. We needed to change a little bit. I felt like our culture kind of slipped last year from a leadership perspective. Because of COVID, we made excuses for things, and that's not how we run our program. We wanted it. We went to Franklin right away, and we said we wanted to be pushed, and we're going to have no backlash on any of it. No complaining. You've got to fight for your culture every day. And I read those quotes to you, Matt, because... The game that kind of stripped Penn State of its ability to have that culture, that made it easy to make those excuses, uh, that made it easy to have bad weeks in practice, was that Indiana game. And when I read stuff like that, and I read how much emphasis Penn State has put on viewing things in a very specific way, a very tough, accountable, hard-nosed, prideful way, I think under normal circumstances, I think Penn State covering 12 and a half would be a bit much because I think Indiana is a good team. I would not be surprised if Penn State comes out and wins this game, something in the ballpark of like 31 to 13. I think they're going to come out guns a-blazing for this game and try and make a bit of a statement. What say you? Ah, I'm torn here. But right now I'm going to say they're going to come out a bit sluggish. Again, you're coming off – this is your – what is it? Your fourth straight home game. You're coming off of an FCS opponent, and you're looking ahead to what might be your biggest game of the year on the road in Kinnick. So this feels like a prime spot for just a sluggish spot. I don't really know if Indiana's going to put up enough points to keep pace with Penn State. I think they cover the spread, but I don't think they'll win by much more than that. Um, I know I got in with the spread at like 10 and a half, 11 and a half. That feels right. I'd probably go something about 35, 20, maybe 35, 24, somewhere in that range. But overall, I think this is a comfortable win. I think Indiana maybe gets a garbage time with, with the, you know, the twos and the threes kind of putting this one in their back pocket and looking ahead a little bit. I don't think we'll see a blowout. I hope we do. I think that'd be, you know, a great way to really, like I said earlier, shake off the the demons of 2020. But this feels like a sluggish, frustrating game that Penn State ultimately wins comfortably. But it just doesn't feel it doesn't feel like a two score win, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I'm putting a lot of stock into uh, James Franklin lying about how much he cares about this week. Uh, so I think it's going to be a good game. I think it's going to be a fun game. I think it's time for us to go around the Big Ten this week. Uh, since we're getting into conference play, it won't take as long as it sometimes does. But we're starting with a game, Matt, that I think is going to kick ass. 8 p.m. FS1, Friday night from College Park, Maryland. The number five Iowa Hawkeyes are heading to play Maryland in a matchup of four and O teams. I was a three-point favorite over under a 47 and a half. But Matt, SP Plus has Maryland winning this game by four. This is like the most two most opposite teams I can think of. Uh, Maryland's entire offensive strategy is, hey, let's, let's just go for it. And it works. It's worked so far. And Iowa's strategy is, 
yeah, but what if we ran it three yards? And it's so funny to watch that comparison. Um, I I have no idea what to make of this. I'm not sold on Iowa yet. I know they're getting a lot of love, but you know who have they who have they played for lack of a better better turn of phrase here? But I think this one. Give me Maryland. Give me Maryland outright. I'm gonna say twenty-seven to twenty-four. I think Maryland's gonna win this one. So here's what I'll say. Uh, Maryland also hasn't really played much of anyone. They had a close win against WVU at home and then blew out Howard, survived against Who's Illinois. Who's good? WVU is good. I will they put them good. in the they actually good. good category. That's fine. That's fair. Uh, went to Illinois, barely beat the Illini, and beat Kent State by 21. I, I, this sounds unfair, I think if Maryland wins, it tells us a lot about Maryland. I think if Iowa wins, it doesn't really tell us a ton about Iowa. Does that like does that make sense? Like I just think that we know so much about how Iowa football goes about its business that if it wins this game, it's just another game like just another game for them. The real test comes next week. The real test might come when they play Wisconsin, just those sorts of games. But if Maryland wins this game and they're able to beat up on a, a legitimately good defense, I think Turks might be for real. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, I'm not convinced they're for real. This feels like a, a lightning in the bottle kind of thing. Um, but also Maryland is not exactly uh, great at Friday night games at home. So yeah, we'll have to wait yeah. and see. Oh, boy. Starting on Saturday. Noon kick on Fox. This game is big. This game is nude. This game is on Saturday from Camp Randall in Madison, Wisconsin. The number 14 Michigan Wolverines taking on the Wisconsin Badgers line. Don't watch. Whatever you do, do not watch this game. There's so many better things to do with your time. Wisconsin's a two-point favorite. Michigan uh, expected to win by one point in the SP+. Over, under, of. 43 and a half. I don't like this game. I think I take Michigan to win just because the vibes seem all off around Wisconsin right now. But, like, I can see this game being, like, you know, neither team breaks 20. Uh, Give me the Badgers. This just feels like a game the Badgers win. Uh, Where they're down and Michigan's really riding the high. This just feels like the game that Wisconsin wins for some reason. I, I said this earlier. It's hard to out Wisconsin, Wisconsin. And that's what Michigan has to go into Camp Randall and try to do. Um, so give me the uh, give me the Badgers here. Maybe. Oh, my God. Where are the points going to come from? Nine to six. Defense. Give me nine, nine, nine to six. That is that. In the immortal words of Al Michaels. Well, that's overwhelming. Uh, noon BTN from Champagne Supernova, the three and one Charlotte 49ers take on the Illinois fighting Illini. Illinois is an 11 point favorite here, Matt. Um, I listen, I'm not going to sit here and be bold enough to predict Charlotte to actually win this football game, but it'd be really funny if Charlotte won this football game. That is a not bad football team. You know, it would be really funny, Bill, if Illinois if Charlotte won, won this football game. Yes, and if Illinois went one and eleven with their lone win against Nebraska, who looks better now? Yeah, that that's um, time to kick ass. I I think Illinois is such an insane rebuilding project. Um, Bert has his work cut out for him. The 49ers are fine. They're better than I think I expected them to be at this point. They're still a really young FBS team, but they already beat Duke. Um, that's not saying much, but I don't think Illinois is much better than Duke. So give me the 49ers here. Uh, 31-21. I think it's a big win for the 49ers. Final noon kick of the slate on BTN. Uh, Minnesota heading into West Lafayette to play Purdue. Purdue is a two-and-a-half point favorite. Um, I, You know, I just think this Minnesota team is – Real down in the dumps. They lost to Bowling Green at home last week. I I don't think Purdue is like stellar or anything. I think they're, you know, a respectable football team. I wouldn't be surprised if Minnesota comes out and just no one looks like they want to be there. 
Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, Minnesota is a really, really, really rough place to be right now. Um, I don't know what you're optimistic about. Um, and I like West Lafayette a lot as a city and as a college town. Um, and the Boilermakers might push for a eight-win season. I don't think that's unrealistic, and that's great. Um because I still think Jeff Brom is kind of a fool for not taking the Louisville job over the Purdue job. No disrespect to Purdue, um, but Louisville has a much higher ceiling. So good for them. Um, give me the fighting Jeff Brahms here. I'm going to go big. Give me 42-28, Boilermakers. Heading to the 3:30 window, only one game. It's on BTN, the number 11 Ohio State Buckeyes are heading to Piscataway, New Jersey to take on Let's Rutgers. Let's go! Ohio Let's State go. is a 15-point favorite. Uh, I don't know. I, I haven't checked to see uh, what C.J. Stroud's status is for this game. I assume that he is going to play, but, you know, not a uh, – he's apparently on track uh, to play on Saturday, which would be a nice little boost for – uh, the Buckeyes. Rutgers coming off of a 20-13 to loss against Michigan in Ann Arbor where they did look a bit frisky. I don't think Rutgers wins this game. I wouldn't be surprised if this game is very close at halftime and then Ohio State pulls away and either cover just covers the spread or like hits it right on that 15 number. Bill, I'm not a bold man, but yeah, Rutgers, Rutgers outright. Rutgers mm-hmm. outright in Piscataway, New Jersey on a beautiful fall Saturday. Rutgers is a much better coached team at this point. Greg Schiano is the only man who can make Rutgers respectable. And I think this is the week they do it. I do not know why I am so optimistic about this. But I feel really good. I feel really good about this pick. I think Rutgers can absolutely control the clock, run on this Ohio State defense, and force whatever young Ohio State quarterback into some mistakes. And I think Rutgers ekes out the 35-31 win over the Ohio State Buckeyes. And that will just make me more angry and more upset if Penn State loses in Columbus this year. I am. Um, Put it on the uh, books. Put it on I, the record. 35-31. Right. I, I love the gumption. Um, I, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm necessarily there with you. I want to be there with you. I want to be there with you. Don't get me wrong. A big issue I'm having all across college football this year is that nobody knows who is good. And everybody is just putting so much stock into who teams have been and not who they are. And I think that's why Clemson still has a number next to their name. I think that's why Oklahoma is still viewed by some as a top 10 team. Rutgers is playing better football. For Rutgers to go into the big house and be competitive is an absolute insane accomplishment considering where this program has been. Greg Schiano has won at Rutgers. He has done a good job at Rutgers. He has won at Ohio State. He has done a good job at Ohio State. He is a guy who knows how to win this kind of game and how to beat what Ohio State wants to do. This is not unrealistic. Like if you took the names off of these programs and just look at what they've done, I would argue Rutgers may have a better-looking resume than Ohio State right now. Like, sure, they pulled away late from Tulsa. I'm talking about Ohio State right now. Pulled away late from Tulsa. But that game was close for longer than it should have been. Like, this is such a weird season, and Rutgers winning this game sends us into a whole new level of chaos, and I am going to root for that any day of the week. So... And I think Rutgers is actually good. Rutgers is a well-coached team. They don't have the athletes, but they have the coaching right now to keep pace and get the win. So I'm feeling good about that one. I'm I'm dog-earing this one. I will uh, I, I will be sure to uh, give you some slack or praise depending on what ends up happening. 
Uh, 7.30 p.m. kick on FS1 from Spartan Stadium in East Lansing, Western Kentucky. Fresh off of a, a fun game against Indiana, uh, heads to take on Michigan State, 17th-ranked Spartans. Sparty, 10.5-point favorites over under 64.5. I would not be surprised if Western is in for a bit of a letdown after last week, Matt. Yeah, Sparty might be good. Um, so shout-out to Mel Tucker. I don't know what he talked to Mark D'Antonio about, but that voodoo magic is still there, and they're going to be 5-0. and uh, So, hey, good for them. Uh, I think Sparty's going to run all over them. I think Sparty can win this one really, really comfortably. Um, Western Kentucky, the, the Hilltoppers are going to put up some points, but not enough to keep pace. So give me, give me the Spartans here, uh, 35-21. Michigan State, number 30 in SP plus, 51 in offensive SP plus, and 22 in defensive SP plus. It surprised me a little bit. Uh, final kick of the game of the weekend, 7:30 p.m. on BTN from Memorial Stadium in Lincoln, Nebraska. Nebraska plays host to Northwestern. I even if Penn State wasn't playing at the exact same time, Matt, I don't think I would watch a single nanosecond of this game. Uh, I expect Nebraska to win, uh, and I don't expect them to win in a way that is particularly fun. Yeah, I'm not going to watch a second of this game. Um, this game is, sounds terrible. No, no uh, one, if you're listening to this podcast, it stands to reason you like Penn State or potentially Indiana. There is no reason, like, even during commercials or halftime, for you to even, like, have your interest peaked by this game. Uh, give me Nebraska by 21. I have no idea how many points they're going to put up because Northwestern's that bad. Um, but give me Nebraska by at least three scores. Yeah, sure. I suppose I can give that to you. Uh, the only other game I would like uh, to pick your brain on. Well, two games I would like to pick your brain on. Uh, one, Georgia against Arkansas. Um, I adore this Arkansas team. I also fear they might be in for a bit of a whooping this week against a Georgia team that seems to really enjoy whooping. Up on teams. Uh, and then speaking of whoopings, uh, I think Cincinnati is going to put them echoes back to sleep in old Notre Dame. So the, the Cincinnati-Notre Dame game is a tough one for me because uh, in my friend group out here, we have a Notre Dame alum and a former Cincinnati football equipment manager. So there is uh, there's some weird vibes going on this week. Um, but I think, oh, man, I'm so torn on this one because Notre Dame looked really good. They looked really good, and it's hard for a G5 team to go into South Bend to win. Um, but I think Luke Fickle is a great coach. I think – I don't know what his future holds at Cincinnati. I don't think he's there very much longer, um, whether that means going to USC or going to Ohio State when Ryan Day takes the Bears job. Ryan Day, please take the Bears job. Um, but I think this is the kind of game where Luke Fickle can really show he is a top-five coach in the country. So – Give me Cincinnati close. And as for Arkansas, Georgia, I want to root for Arkansas so badly, but Georgia's just too talented. I think Georgia can win that one. The spread's big. I think the spread is like 17 and a half last I checked, or at least when I got in on it. Um, I think they'll cover that, but I feel like 17 is a really good number to put this at. So I think it's still a three score win for Georgia, but that's still a very respectable showing for Arkansas, considering where that program has been for the past, you know, better part of a decade. Uh, Georgia is an 18-point favorite as of right now. That's a All bigger. Right, that f- seems right. That's a bigger favorite than Alabama is against Ole Miss. Ole Miss winning that one outright too. Woo! Let's go, Matt Corral show. Woo, woo, woo! All right. Uh, I that game's gonna that game's gonna rule. You gave Lane Kiffin a bye week beforehand to just start game planning for his former boss. Are you kidding me? 14 and a half points. That's an insane spread. There's absolutely no way Ole Miss does not cover that. Watch me say that. And then they lose by like 30. But still, that that that's going to be a crazy fun game. I cannot wait for that one. Yeah, part of me thinks there's just been a little bit too much like, hey, maybe Ole Miss could do that. Maybe this could be the week that a Saban assistant gets him. And Saban is just going to be like, well, you know, there's just something that happens when my assistants come to Tuscaloosa to play me. And it ends with Alabama winning by 35. So, I don't know. I, I, you know, it'll be, it'll be fun either way. Uh, any, any final things before I wrap up this pod? 
no, I, I'm excited that this has been an insanely fun season. This is probably the week I'm looking most forward to. There's just so many fun games. Um, but I do enjoy the weeks where they're, it doesn't look like it's going to be chaos like last week did. Uh, so I'm just hoping we don't get a letdown week. And, you know, it kind of stinks Penn State's a nightcap because I got to kind of just sit around all day and waiting for them to kick off. Um, but I'm hoping for just a really fun, fun weekend of college football here. I am also hoping for a fun weekend of college football, and I hope all of you have fun watching college football this week. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. As always, make sure you're going on to wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing to the show. If you use Apple Podcasts, please go and leave us a five-star review. Please keep reading and supporting the site. best way to do that is to go out and make a purchase on some t-shirts and make sure you're following us on all of our various social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Nick's planning to do some more stuff over on YouTube, whatever it might be. One last time. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For Matt Filippovitz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Home field apparel. If Indiana wins this game, I will buy four shirts that you can choose for me. <laughs>